0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me in God's Word this morning to Romans chapter 13. Turning in our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. And we'll read God's Word this morning under the heading of God and government. God and government from Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. And then afterwards we're going to turn in the Belgic Confession to article 36. But first we'll give our attention to God's Word. The Apostle Paul writes these words beginning in Romans you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them: taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Here is, here ends the reading of God's word, and we'll turn in our Belgian Confession now to Article Thirty Six which can be found on page 196 of the Forms and Prayers in the Pew in front of you. Belgic Confession Article 36 titled The Civil Government. Article 36 reads like this: We believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers He wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained and that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that purpose, he has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. And being called in this manner to contribute to the advancement of a society that is pleasing to God, the civil rulers have the task, subject to God's law, of removing every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship. They should do this while completely refraining from every tendency towards exercising absolute authority and while functioning in the sphere entrusted to them, which means belonging to them. They should do it in order that the word of God may have free course, the kingdom of Jesus Christ may make progress, and that every anti-Christian power may be resisted. Moreover, everyone regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government. And pay taxes, and hold its representatives in honor and respect, and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's word, praying for them, that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways, and that we may live a peaceable, peaceful and quiet life in all piety and decency." And on this matter we denounce the Anabaptists and other anarchists and in general those who want to reject the authorities and civil officers and to subvert judgment by justice by introducing common ownership of goods and corrupting the moral order that God has established among human beings. Here ends the reading of the Belgic Confession. A blessed congregation, it was John Calvin during the French persecution The Huguenots, that was the French Reformed, had to flee from his home in France to Geneva. And while he was in Geneva, he wrote a letter to the king of France about the persecution of the French Reformed people and he said these words. He says, we are not scheming to overthrow kingdoms. We've never uttered one seditious word And who, under your rule, were always known to live a simple and peaceful life. Even now, driven from our homes, listen to this, Calvin says, we do not fail to pray that God would prosper both you and your kingdom. God be thanked, he goes on, our lives can be offered as an example of chastity, generosity, mercy, temperance, patience, moderation and every other virtue. This is what he wrote to the king who was persecuting him. See, last week, Paul said, let love be genuine among believers. Let love be genuine with strangers, even with enemies. And Paul knows that the greatest enemy that was opposed to the Gospel in that day was Emperor Nero himself and the Roman government. Government in that day was enemy number one. Remember to the people whom Paul is writing. They were questioning, does Rome even have a right to rule us at all? They were being persecuted. We read in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, that Emperor Claudius, the one before Nero or one of them before Nero, expelled all of the Jews from Rome, including Jewish Christians. We even think Priscilla and Aquila were forced out of the Roman church. At this time, taxes would have been extremely high. Furthermore, as Christians, if Jesus is King of Kings, and He is Lord of Lords, do we even need to submit to the government? These are the questions they are asking. Now, I'll be the first to admit this morning that I have had similar questions. There have been times when I have been absolutely repulsed by the decisions that have been made in government, both here and home. In Canada. And there can be a tendency, even in my own heart, to say, I didn't vote for him, so I can resist him. We think he's not president by my appointment, so we can delight in his failure, we can relish in slander. We can rationalize disobedience. We can even resist the government, not my president. Well, you might not have voted for Joe Biden, but in a sense, God did. God is the one, the scriptures say, who sets up the kings and princes and prime ministers and presidents. Daniel 2, verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Beloved, when it comes to politics, when it comes to government, we have to get back to God, politically speaking. And that even in the narrative of unrighteous presidents and prime ministers and stolen elections and political revolution, we have to remember that God is sovereign. The Scriptures say even the heart of the king rests in his hands. Proverbs 21, verse 1. And so Paul's conclusion is that all, of all people, Christians, even amongst unrighteous governments, should be the most patient. We should be the most understanding. And we'll see even the most loving of our governing authorities. Because our hope, beloved, is not found in the governments of this world. Our hope transcends the nation of the United States of America. We are citizens of heaven. We are servants of the King of kings. Servants of the Lord of lords. And that ought to define how we interact with our governing authorities. I want to show you two points this morning. God's appointed ministers. First point, And then secondly, God's appointed submission. God's appointed ministers and then God's appointed submission. R.B. Kuyper said this, there are three institutions of divine origin. The church, the family, and the state. And this is exactly where Paul begins his teaching this morning. The state has been divinely instituted by God. That's Paul's starting point. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. In the Greek, it actually says, every soul be subject. Everyone who has breath, every person who lives must answer this call. So does our Belgic Confession put it. Everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government. Why? Notice Paul's answer. Not because you want to avoid trouble. Not because pragmatically it's good for society if we have laws and a system in place. But Paul grounds this teaching in the fact that God is sovereign. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. What this means is that there is no king or queen. There is no president or vice president. There is no prince or sultan who is above God. There is no throne that is greater than His throne. There is no scepter that has no more power. And therefore, those who exercise authority do so because God Himself has granted it. Do you believe this? See, it's easy for Christians to affirm God's sovereignty when our guy is winning. But what about evil rulers? Paul was writing during the time of Nero, one of the most wicked men in the history of this world. Is God sovereign then? What about when Adolf Hitler was the chancellor and ruler of Germany Joseph Stalin King John Kim Jong Un in North Korea Vladimir Putin in Russia Paul says even these men are not above the sovereignty of God For example, we've actually already come across an unjust leader in the book of Romans. If you flip back to Romans 9, in your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 9. Paul reminded us of the great oppression of the Jews by Pharaoh. Pharaoh was clearly an evil man. He enslaved the Jews. Remember, he killed the Jewish baby boys. He rejected God's will, but in Romans 9, verse 17, we read, God say to Pharaoh, for this reason I raised you up. Who raised him up? God did. And despite the evil that Pharaoh had done, God accomplished His sovereign purposes through him. And isn't the Bible full of examples like this? Remember Nebuchadnezzar. How God humbled him and used him. Think of Cyrus the Persian how God used him to return the Jews to Israel and to rebuild the temple. God was not surprised when these rulers were appointed and he was not surprised when your ruler, Joe Biden, was installed. And so God is sovereign. And I'm going to allow my Canadian to show for a moment Because God is sovereign, but He also appoints sovereigns. See, as a young boy growing up in Canada, the queen was referred to as the sovereign. She was referred to as the head of state. Not that the king or queen took the place of God, but that the king and queen was supposed to recognize that their right to rule and the origin of their rule and the power of their rule came from God. From the true sovereign. And this is how Paul thinks about kings and queens in his day and kings and queens in our day. Their origin, their right, their power does not come from the people. It doesn't come from Congress. Comes from God. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8 this morning. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. The writer says these words Proverbs 8, verse 15 and 16. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. By me by me, by me. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, the angel proclaims to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. He says, this sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom He will. Daniel 4, verse 17. The sovereign appoints sovereigns. And this should comfort us believers. Because if God is the one who raises them up, He is also the one who can bring them low. That those sovereigns are held accountable to the ultimate sovereign. And He has brought men low, men and women low, who have rejected Him. Think of Herod in the book of Acts who is struck down with worms. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, he is said to be humbled by God, becoming as a beast. See, those sovereigns that God appoints on earth are ultimately given by God not to do evil, but to do good. See, even though our government often fails, oftentimes our government is an example of the corruption that sin brings. God appoints governments to do good. We need to remember the words of John Calvin when he had to flee France to go to Switzerland because of the persecution of the Protestants. He said, even the worst government is better than chaos. Even the worst government is better than chaos. He wrote. And sometimes we can forget that government is Jesus' gift to us. That's what verses 3 and 4 are about. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for, it is, for he is God's servant for your good. See, God has given us government actually to give approval to what is good and for the punishment of what is evil. This is what the Bel- Belgian Confession says. He wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained, that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that reason, he has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish people. The state should enforce the law and rule in justice. It is to be a terror to what is bad, but it is to be a blessing to what is good. That's God's appointed, Paul says, ministers. I want to give you a few words of application here. We need Christians in politics who have God at the center. That is the best thing that our country can have Political leaders, law enforcement, and mayors who love Jesus. Because the more they love God, the more they will love the Word. And the more that we love the Word, the more we love people. Is God calling you somehow, in some way, to work within our government, to bring the nation back to God? And you see, some people will say, well, what about the separation of church and state? Well, it's true that the church is not entrusted with the sword, and the government is not entrusted with the preaching of the Word. The state and the church should be separated, yes, but the state should never be separated from God. The church needs to again take up its prophetic witness. We need to be willing as Christians to call the state to account. We need to be willing to speak to our presidents, our governors, and our mayors and tell them to be the God ordained ministers that they were called to be. So, Abraham Kuyper puts it this way separation of church and state, yes, but never a separation from a Christian and his politics. Our faith. Our understanding of politics ought to inform. Our understanding of how God has appointed sovereigns ought to inform our political engagement. So we've seen that God is the one who is appointed. He has set up and established kings. But there is a second thing in this passage. God's will for us. That's His appointed submission. Submission. See, the sovereign God not only appoints the governing authorities, but He also shows us how we are to conduct ourselves towards those in authority over us. And the word Paul uses is subjection. This is the emphasis for you and I in this passage. Verse 1, let every person be subject to governing authorities. And then verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection. Believers are called To submit to God's appointed ministers. Even though they're being persecuted, look what Paul says be subject. Even though they were being exiled and were treated with no human dignity, Paul says be in subjection. Even though their taxes were high, Paul says pay taxes. And submission here, subjection is different from obedience. Remember, obedience can be forced. Obedience can be coerced. But subjection involves your will. It is a willing bowing of the head to authority. So what does Christian subjection look like? I want to give you five points this morning. See, though we may not always be able to agree with our government, we can, one, always serve them unto the Lord. We can, two, honor them with our civil obedience. We can, three, love them. Four, pray for them. And then, five, look to Jesus. The first thing I want to show you that a Christian's obedience, or excuse me, subjection to their government is firstly service unto the Lord. We are to be subject to our governments as service unto the Lord. That's Paul's meaning in verse 4. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who, look at this, carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. As the appointed ministers of God, to do his work, to resist them, Paul says, is actually to resist God. Whoever resists the authority, resists what God has appointed, verse 2. See, that Matthew Henry puts it this way, the magistrates bear the image of God's authority and those who spurn their power spurn God Himself. In other words, when we obey Joe Biden and we obey and submit ourselves to Gretchen Whitmer, Paul says we glorify God. One must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. And God alone is the Lord of the conscience. See, Paul is making something very, a very important point here that we do not submit to our government because they are always good. Or because they are always right. Or they always do it from a pure motive and spirit. But we submit out of a sense of obligation to God for His glory and His good. What this means is that as Christians of all people, we are to be the model, model citizens. Christians of all people should be the model citizens because we know how sinful the human heart is. That's what the Belgic Confession grounds this whole teaching in. Because of the depravity of the human race, our good God gave us government. R.C. Sproul says we should bend over backwards in civil obedience. Now, I want to point out something to you here. In the Bible, the word obey is never used when describing our relationship with the government. Boys and girls, you are called to obey your parents, we are called to obey church leaders. But every time the Bible talks about your relationship with your government, it always uses the word subject or submit. And now I say this cautiously. That there are some times when we cannot obey our government. We cannot obey when they ask us to sin. Christian, you need to be very careful with this. Because sometimes you must say no to your government. There is times when you need to disobey. But what Paul is requiring is that it is always done in a God-fearing way. See, Paul is not saying that government has absolute authority. No, God has absolute authority. He agrees with Peter who said in Acts, we must obey God rather than men. And that when conflicts arise between God and our government, we have to choose God. But too often, the fact that God is our absolute leader, this can become our trump card to slander our leaders can become our trump card to begin to cheat on our taxes. We give ourselves to conspiracies and all sorts of disobedience that is unbiblical. The confession says when something is in conflict with the Word of God, we need to resist it and still live a peaceable and quiet life in all piety and decency. One preacher puts it this way, Christians need to be able to resist an ungodly law without resisting the God-ordained government. Do you see that distinction? We need to be able to resist an ungodly law without, but not resisting God's ordained government. See, there's a few examples of this in the Scriptures. Remember the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1. When Pharaoh says to them, when a woman gives birth to a baby boy, kill that baby boy. And the Hebrew women said, no. And God blessed them. And He honored them. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, when Nebuchadnezzar says you must worship. You must fall down and worship an idol. They said no. God preserved their life in the furnace. A more modern example might be like Corrie ten Boom in the Nazi regime. They were told they had to give up all the Jews and out these people, and instead her family takes them into their home and hides them and protects them. See, we cannot always obey the government, but Paul is right that we can always submit. We can always subject ourselves. We can always accept them. We can always pray for them. We need not call for their overthrow, and we need to seek to honor them in every way that we can. You see, it's not without purpose that this section on government comes in between two love commands. If you have your Bible, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And then you jump over that section on the government. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Sandwiched in between those two passages commanding us to love. Christians are to love the body of Christ. You're to love strangers. You're called to love your enemies. And you are even called to love your government. You love Joe Biden. He is your neighbor. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the cruciform way. This is Jesus' way of dealing with leaders. As Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Romans 12, uh, verse 12. One, I believe. Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be conformed to this world in the way of government means that we would slander our president. That's what the world does. It's the world that demonizes. It's the world that gives ear to conspiracy theories and throws dirt as much as they can, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, says Paul. We need to be transformed even in our thinking politically. See, I've seen it too often where Christians allow their minds to be conformed to the politics of this world and it destroys their joy. We say this world it's, it's going to pot. It's government. It's, it's corrupt. It's, it's wicked. It's evil. It's useless. And we forget that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, this is how you love your government biblically. This is how you love Joe Biden biblically, as you must remember that even in all of the evil and wickedness that goes on in this world, Jesus is on the throne. And He is calling me to the service of love. If He could love a sinner like me, surely I can love a sinner like my president or prime minister. Now when I say that you need to love your government, I also need to issue a warning here Because some people can become so in love with government and they set it so highly on the throne of their hearts that they begin to forget that it ought not to have the place of God. We cannot be so submissive and so loving that we place the demands of government above our Lord. It is better to obey God than men. Paul says we also ought to give them honor. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is due. uh, Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And I want to remind you this evening, or excuse me, this morning, that the greatest honor you can give to someone is that you pray for their soul. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for your government. Pray for your nation. Whether you're 93 years old or you're 3-year-old. You might not be able to get involved in politics, but you can pray. And remember that it is prayer that changes the nation. How do you change the United States and the votes of people? Not by getting the right guy in office, or by winning seats in Congress. To quote my pastor back home in Toronto, you change the nation one soul at a time. If we want to see the United States make godly choices, the Gospel message needs to sound forth through us. And we need to see people changed by prayer. And the more that people are changed by the Gospel, the more they love Jesus, the more that will be reflected in our politics, the more it will be reflected in our government. We fight as Christians, not with weapons and fists. We fight by doing good works. And the greatest work we can do is to pray and to preach that our leaders might believe and that many people might embrace and be saved in the Gospel. And that this nation would be a city on the hill. So you know who shows us this subjection perfectly? Perfectly the Lord Jesus Himself. See, the way of subjection is seen in Christ. Every night at this church, we confess, Sunday night, we confess the Apostles' Creed that Jesus submitted Himself to Pontius Pilate. See, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John 19, and this will be my final word this morning. In John 19, Jesus been taken by the Sanhedrin to Pontius Pilate, and he says, well, why don't you guys try him in your own courts? And they say, well, we don't have the power to execute this man. And so Pontius Pilate says in John 19, verse 10 to Jesus, he says, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And look at Jesus' response you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Even though Jesus' kingdom was not of this world, and He could have called down legions of angels upon Pontius Pilate and the whole Roman institution, and they could have come and rescued Him in a moment, He submits Himself to Pontius Pilate. In patience. And he looks to God to rescue him. Beloved, this is our King. He shows us how we are to live at peace with our government. That we do not put our hope in our government. We do not uh, take up arms unnecessarily. That we even submit ourselves to them. In subjection and patience. And we fight back doing good works, and looking to God. I think this was exemplified so well in John Calvin's words. Even though we are driven from our homes, we do not fail to pray that God would prosper both you and your kingdom. See, God has appointed His ministers, and He has appointed our subjection to them. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You this morning for our government. We thank You that You have been pleased through them to rule us, to to curb and to punish evil and to promote good and godliness. And we ask God that You would continue to bless them. and That even the leaders of this nation would fall on their knees and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord through us. For us, your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.